What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. Our goal is that we would be a bright spot in your busy day. And so thank you for joining us today. Uh, This week, we are talking to Stéphane Grenier of Mental Health Innovations. Uh, Next week, here on the podcast, we'll be talking with Jason Troy, who shares with us why it's all about people. And finally, the last week of February, we have Chris Tabish uh, talking on the podcast about comediology. He's the guy from Silicon Valley that decided to take up stand-up comedy. And what he learned, he began to apply to business and everyday life. I think you're going to really enjoy that one. And finally, at the end of this month, those of you that are in Norfolk, Virginia or near the area within a two-hour drive, would you please join us for this first Vitamin Lead seminar entitled How to Create a Memorable Life. Make it a point to come out from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Leap Day in downtown Norfolk. Please RSVP on our Facebook page and we will be in touch with further details. Today, we're talking with Stefan Grenier. When it comes to mental health, he walks the talk. He was recently appointed to the Order of Canada and awarded an honorary Doctor of Laws degree for his contributions to the field of workplace mental health. He, his autobiography, After the War, Surviving PTSD and Changing Mental Health Culture, tells his story from the day he landed in the midst of the Rwandan genocide through his journey of changing mental health culture in the Canadian military. And he started and founded Mental Health Innovations, a consultancy that leads innovative and sustainable change in organizations to enhance the mental health of their people. Stefan's vision is a world where people no longer face barriers to good mental health. I got to tell you, Stefan and I had a really good talk. This is one of our longer uh, interviews. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of good stuff in here that if you're a leader, if you work with people, you know the mental health crisis just across the country and around the world that we're facing. And so uh, listen in, and I believe that you're going to find some really helpful tips to help you with the mental health culture in your workplace. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed, and I am excited today to have our guest, uh, Stefan Grenier. Did I get that right, Stefan? You sure did. It's close enough. It's good. (laughs) It's good. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for joining us. Uh, Why don't you, we've already shared a little bit of your bio, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your past and what led you to your vision of a world where people no longer face barriers to good mental health? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up as a as a happy as a happy young teenager, normal family. Everything was going well. Joined the military, wanted to serve my country. The first ten years of my career were pretty easy going. TJ, I, I, I was you know this was the the eighties. This was the Cold War. We were preparing for the Russian invasion, and we trained all the time. And there was no wars. It's a Cold War, right? Right. And then, of course, that was the first decade of my military career. The second decade of my military career, the next 10 years and, and 10 to 20 years, 
was spent deploying all over the world because of course the Berlin Wall had fallen. The Russians were no longer the enemy. The world was falling apart. And here we were in, in our military up, up north of the border here in Canada, where we were sending peacekeepers all over the world. And one of the places, one of the many places I ended up with in, in 94 was in Rwanda, uh, where, you know, not that Rwanda was a worse genocide. I mean, I'm not in the habit of comparing genocide, but you know, they, they ended up killing 800,000 people in, in less than a few months with machetes, right? So, so it was a bad year. 94 was a bad year for, for Rwandans, of course, and for those of us who were there to try to help people. And, and so that's where I really, I really hit the wall, right? I hit the wall during the deployment, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know it. Uh, because as a military leader and as a military person, you just keep, keep plowing forward. When I came back, it was really tough. Uh, reconstituted myself. It took, took me about six, seven years to regain my mental health. And then, you know, I, I sort of said, what's wrong with our organization? What's wrong with our leaders? What's wrong with me? Should I have not been a better leader when I was there, right? I don't think I was a bad leader, TJ. But looking back in hindsight, I'm thinking there was a corporal at one point. He came to me, not for help. He just came to me sharing what had happened. He had been held at gunpoint. It was a you know, standoff and all this. And I, I just thought it was just a bad day on the job, right? Mm. And as a leader, I don't think I failed him because we always stayed close and I supported him. But I know now I could have done so much more for him, right? And so what we're doing now, you know, so after, after going through all of that and after but the last 10 years of my career were spent re-engineering how our military organization supports their people from a non-clinical perspective, from a leadership perspective. It's all about leadership for me, right? Because yeah. I'm not a doctor. And now that I have my company, I do that for, for Corporate Canada. And that company is Mental Health Innovations, right? Yeah. And we do everything different from other consultancies, right? If, if it's done already, we don't do that. We do it a little differently. We focus on the human condition. We focus on leaders. We focus on managers. We focus on rehumanizing the workplace. It's not at all about mm. policies and procedures and what to say to people and handing out a pamphlet. It's about right. connecting with people and being there for them. And the, you know, the, the funny thing is, is people think, well, if I tell a work, uh, you know, a coworker or I tell a, an employee, what can I do to support you? What if they tell me, you know, to do something I can't do? And says, don't, don't fear. They're not going to ask you to do anything. They're not going to ask you to jump through hoops. You'll right. be surprised that they're not going to ask you to do anything because you asking them is three quarters of the solution. Yeah. The fact that you care is three quarters of the solution because nobody freaking cares anymore. So that, you know, it's interesting. Is, uh, earlier you were saying when you were talking about uh, being a leader in the military, do, do you wish that you would have been more attentive to your own feelings? Did you get just kind of, I, I think all of us as leaders sometimes get numb to the experiences that we've had and don't realize that other people are experiencing it for the first time with fresh eyes and things like that. Like, mm. do, do you wish that you would have kind of, I guess, maybe been more of like a sane commentary for those people as they were walking through that or? I don't know. I don't think I was the kind of guy that was, uh, you know, very stoic and one of the tough guys, you know, okay. I've always been sort of a, I, I think I've always been kind of the, the guy that understands, right. And that when somebody's not doing well, you understand, 
but that doesn't mean I, I did enough for the people who were working for me at the time, right? I mean, as leaders, it's hit and miss. You do what you can, you, you know, and you can't always be. So there's a difference between being respected and liked. Sometimes you're going to make unpopular decisions. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, I saw, I saw this great quote, I think from Steve Jobs or somebody that's very much more important than me who, who said, if you, if you uh, want to please everybody all the time, don't be a leader, serve ice cream. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's true, right? When yeah, you're a leader, you're going to displease people. But that doesn't mean that leaders, you know, so I, I was always wondering, I think I always had that ability to self-reflect. Did I do enough? Was that the right thing to do? How's yeah. he really doing, right? He said he's okay, but is he really okay? But then I wouldn't stick to it because I didn't mm. know. I didn't know back in the, in the 80s and the 90s, I didn't know about this mental health thing. We now know, right? Right. Uh, and, and, and so when people are going through a tough time, I actually did not comprehend the long longitudinal impact this can have on a human being's life, right? Mm. It was just, you know, had a bad day. Now that we right. know... With the hindsight and the experience now, you know, th this is what we're, we're committed to is to help organizations shape a culture that actually really supports their people, right? Mm. And keeps the people because we know the young folks, you know, if they don't stick around, it's because the organization's unhealthy. They move on, right? right. So the biggest, I don't know if it's like that in the States, but in Canada, the, the biggest culprit for corporate attrition is, you know, you guys suck. I'm moving on. I'm leaving. I don't need to take this shit. And so, and that's a good thing, right? So the right. young generation is, is taking corporate Canada, maybe corporate America to task. Yeah. They better treat us well. If, yeah. And it doesn't need to be a pity party. It doesn't need to be, you know, treat us well like tea and crumpets every morning, but you better treat us with respect because we're not yeah. taking this shit, right? So it's a good thing. So can I say those things here on your podcast? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay. okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I read an article recently that, because uh, I've just been very interested in this topic and like how to help folks with mental health in the workplace. And it said that, you know, uh, millennials and Gen Z, they're, they're so in touch with their mental health, unlike previous generations, kind of like what you were saying, we didn't know much in the 80s and 90s. And so they're bringing it to the forefront here. And there's an expectation that, hey, we're going to talk about this. Do you, yeah. So do, do you think that, in the past, we just had like a toughen up, put, throw some dirt on it mentality in the workplace that, uh, sure. or, or is it just that people are more in touch with mental health nowadays or, or is it maybe both? I don't know. Well, I, I think it's all of the above. And I, I remember when I was growing up, mental health, when I was a teenager, a kid, mental health was not on the radar at all. But right you know, kids at, at, you know, I saw a YouTube video from a young girl who's 12 years old. She did a high school project here. You know, she's the daughter of a friend of mine and it's all about bullying and the mental health of the, the little girl who's being bullied. And it's a very, it's a cute video. It's yeah. like five minutes, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work for a 12 year old to put a video like that, but these kids are so in tune with the concept. That was not my case growing up. I didn't even know the brain could be injured or, 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 or ill, right? Yeah. I didn't even, I knew I had a brain, but you know, you, you, you sprain an ankle, you go, okay, you move on. So, so essentially that's exactly the generation I grew up in. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's completely flipped inside out. So you have people of my generation now who are in their fifties 
at, in, in the leadership and the governance structure of organizations who are going, what's, what's up with these kids? They're bringing up these issues. So I'm not so sure if it was a suck it up mentality, but there was definitely a part of that. Uh, but it's also an ignorance. Ignorance ignores itself, right? When you don't know mm. something, you don't yeah. know, you don't know it. Right? Yeah. You, you just don't know it. And doesn't mean you're stupid. You just don't know. So there's part of that. And, and I do believe that it's not all bad though, TJ. I do believe that it, there's something to be said about a, a, a healthy dose, and maybe some of your, 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 your listeners will hate me for saying that, but there's a healthy dose of sucking it up, right? Sure. We have to, as a society, as human beings, build a little bit of callus on our psyche in order to go through life. We can't right. be porcelain dolls, right? right. We, we can't just be broken at every comment we hear. So from a generational perspective, what I'm finding now is maybe the stick is being bent too far the other way. Mm. Where as a, as a 54, 55 year old guy now, I'm thinking, I almost feel like pre-apologizing because I'm probably gonna say something at one point that might offend somebody. And right. I believe that that's probably a little too far, right? Yeah. So people probably get mentally injured or mentally hurt too quick now. Uh, but that that doesn't mean they're weak or but it means that there's a societal shift and i think when when the pendulum comes back in the middle there uh, we'll land in the sweet spot where yeah. it's okay to be human you're okay if you have a bad day you're gonna bounce back but i do believe that at this point in time we we need to also think that yeah we need to build a bit of resiliency we need to be able to have a bad day yeah. And, and not need to take two weeks off, right? <laughs> right. And go back to work the next day. Or uh, if the boss, uh, I remember a, a few years ago, three, four years ago, we, we were helping an organization and, and this employee says, I was traumatized last week. And I said, Jesus, what happened? <laughs> and the employee said, my boss pulled me in his office and you know, here's what he said and he goes on to take what he says. And I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, well, you know, you, 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 you missed your deadline. You didn't yeah. come in one day, you didn't tell him. Uh, and he's telling you, don't do that again. And you know, when you have a deadline, if you're not gonna miss it, you gotta, you gotta tell me, you can't just miss the deadline. Right. And I'm thinking, where's the trauma, right? Now that doesn't mean he didn't, he had a, he had a bad day, he was upset, but I, that's not trauma, buddy. You were upset, right? right. And so, so there's all this stuff happening that you know, a 54 year old like me is wondering, you know, is this, is this hmm. normal, is this okay? But I think the pendulum will swing back. It'll swing back. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I heard, uh, I think it was Father Richard Rohr recently. He, he said that if people don't gain like the, the sense of self-identity and values, the, the kind of victim mentality and identity always tends to permeate and you always tend to go mm -hmm. back to that. And so um, yeah. I, I think we've got that. That's what it is. We've got to be careful about that. You, yeah. you don't want to be injurious to people all the time but at the same time uh you've got to work at uh hey i i need to have a sense of self-worth self-value that needs to be built yeah. up so that i'm not always fragile or broken yeah. like that yeah yeah, yeah exactly that's I good agree. um one of your uh blogs i read uh you mentioned that there's a difference between uh workplace mental health literacy and uh, workplace emotional intelligence. Can you talk a little mm. bit about that and how that works? Absolutely. So that's one, one of the things we do different in our company. So uh, here uh, up, up, up in Canada, there's an entire industry 
of, of uh, we're going to come into your company and we're going to teach you about mental illness, mental health. And uh, it's all about mental health. Literacy. So, so if we can teach you what the symptoms of, of bipolar is and symptoms of PTSD and symptoms of depression, and you know, we, we up your, your knowledge base around mental illness, mental health. And it's basically the you know, psychology and the psychiatry and basically the clinical narrative, right? Yeah. Uh, and the reason why this is occurring or has occurred and continues to occur is because when organizations look around and go, oh my God, you know, our, our mental health disability costs are rising. What do we do about it? So mental health, ah, we need a doctor. Doctor, come over here. Psychologist, psychiatrist, come over here. What, what do you think? Well, what do you think they're going to think? They're going to they're going to regurgitate what they know. What do they know? They know about the brain, the amygdala, serotonin right. levels. Uh, they know about the uh, the diagnostic terminologies, the symptoms, the DSM, right? And so so we we are flooded here with mental health literacy training. There's even a program called Mental Health First Aid, and the Mental Health First Aid. I mean, the title is really cool. Right, and you go, yeah. well, geez, physical first aid, mental health first aid makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But mental health first aid is in, infused with clinical terminology mm. and clinical knowledge. And I say, as I've been a leader my whole life, I've been a boss my whole life. After high school, I joined the military, I became a leader a year and a half later, and I was a leader my whole life. Mm. And I that doesn't qualify me for, for anything really, but I say mental health in the workplace is not a clinical issue, it's a leadership issue. You know, it becomes a clinical issue when the employee becomes a patient of a doctor, but that employee remains an employee. And as an employee, you're the leader, you better support that employee. And that support does not come from clinical knowledge. It mm. comes from your ability as a human being to be vulnerable, to, to understand, have empathy, uh, be humble connect at the human level and, and engage the person with whom you have more power, perhaps, but mm. just lower that power differential. In that moment when your employee is struggling, the power differential should be zero yeah. and you should connect at the human level. Now, the reason why this doesn't happen a lot, TJ, is because managers and leaders are saying, yeah, but I'm the boss, right? And so if I say anything, I'm going to be held liable. So what we've, we've found is the sweet spot of equipping managers and leaders on how to support a human being without ever jeopardizing the liabilities leaders and managers have mm. towards the company, right? Yeah. And in fact, if you look at it, and again, you know, I'm not an expert about jurisprudence and, and case law in the US, but what's happening here is that more and more case law is changing. Employers are being found guilty of neglect and not accommodating, and they are losing millions of dollars in lawsuits. Why? Not because they, they failed to throw a pity party for an employee, because they failed to do exactly what I said, connect yeah. at the human level. That human being coming into work, putting an honest day's work for which you pay, uh, is a human being. And if you think he's going to forget all of his problems that he's having because he's getting a divorce, his kids won't speak to him, his aging parents are dying, yeah. And he's going to come into work and say, well, I'm going to leave that at home. You know, this, this work-life balance stuff <laughs> where, well, leave your, your life at home when you come to work and you, you work at work when you go to, it's one brain, 
There's one yeah. brain and it's all in the same CPU, right? And so, or, or until we, we want them to check email at home, then, then the work-life oh, balance yeah, goes yeah. out the window there. Yeah, yeah, work-life <laughs> balance. And here's a Blackberry and a smartphone and we'll email you at 11 o'clock at night, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so that's my take on it. So there's a very big difference between increasing mental health literacy and having clinical knowledge, which is factual, it's, it's evidence-based, it's, it's academically sound, it's very interesting, but so unuseful. It mm. is so unuseful. And the, so, so our approach is, you know, TJ, you know, I don't know if, you, if you're a boss. You're a boss at, at work? I am, yep. Okay, so, you know, let, let's, say, let's say you're a bad boss at work. Okay, let's imagine you're just a bad boss. You're a bit of a tyrant. You're walking around, you know, you know looking over people's shoulders, asking if they're going to meet the deadline, and people are afraid of you, right? Yep. But that same human being who happens to be a bad TJ boss might be the nicest brother-in-law the nicest uncle to somebody. Right. And we're saying, why do you change? Why do you have a dual personality? Right. Allow yourself to be human the same way you are in your family. Now, if you're an asshole with your family, well, okay, <laughs> don't bring that into work, right? Right. At the end of the day, there's a lot of good people out there that think that to be the boss, you have to know it all and you have to have this power and you have yeah. to, you know, that's not the way it works. That's no. not leadership, no. right? That's not leadership. Anyway, that's, that's, that's usually that's usually a lack of self-management, right? Like I, I find that with with the roles that I take on, I've got to do a better job of caring for myself so that I can come in authentically and be whole myself uh, as a leader. Absolutely, absolutely, and and sort of model that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, I, I think I read also on one of your pages that, uh, you know, the healthcare system is really not capable of meeting the needs of the growing number of people who are presenting mental health care challenges. Why is that? Uh, why is that? We, I, I think it's because the mental health system is built around a, a medical model that, um, you know, triages, uh, diagnose people, the treatment modalities to treat patients is a fairly longitudinal process, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you compare, uh, you know, your typical mental health challenge that an employee is going to have uh, next week, who the person has been having, you know, a tough bout at work, at home, things are falling apart or whatnot, that employee is a human carrying that whole life. And at one point, the stars line up where this person is on the precipice of, of being depressed or becoming depressed or suffering from depression, right? Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden that depression begins, uh, but the depression begins, but the day the depression begins is likely not the day the employee reaches out for medical help. Number one, right? Mm. Yep. So the depression begins, uh, and after months, this is your typical sort of decompensation story after many, many months of struggling and all this and having memory lapses and I'm missing deadlines. Now the person's getting in trouble at work because they're missing deadlines and all this. Now, what do you think that does to the depression? It gets worse, right? Right. Bottom line is, is you can just, you can just keep going up with the story. By the time the person reaches out for help, because of course there's stigma in there. So I don't want to be seen coming out of a shrink's office. And, and really a lot of people, when they start struggling from mental health problem, separate from the phenomena of stigma, there's a phenomena that I call self-stigma. The employee himself, the person himself going through this is going, what the hell is wrong with me? I'm, I'm, I'm late for work. I feel I'm not motivated. And people are ashamed of that. You know, rare are the people who, who are, were 
early at work, who are now late at work, who are proud of that. Of course, they're ashamed. <laughs> that that yeah. whole self-stigma thing kicks in, right? Yeah. And, and the irony with mental health problems is the very, TJ, the very part of the human anatomy that is ill is the part of the human anatomy that will alert you that you are sick. But mm. that, the brain, is sick. So, you know, you, you break a leg, the brain knows the leg is broken, it sends signals, and you go, that's painful, and you go into care. That yeah. doesn't happen with mental illness or mental health challenges, right? It's a different pathway. And the irony, too, is that the, the recovery process to recover from a broken leg, as an example, is quite known, right? You go in, get an x-ray, doctors who broke a leg, put a cast on there. It's around a month, three weeks, a month, physiotherapy, you're back, right? Right. So we, we sort of understand it. And, and it's, it's, it's an injury, actually, that the minute you get injured, you know you're injured. That's right. not the case for a lot of people in workplaces who become injured mentally, when, when workers become injured mentally, they're going to they're gonna walk on that injury for months, sometimes years before they go into care. So by wow. the time they go into care, what do you th doctors are not dealing with a, just a broken leg now, or you know, like the, the analogy is a broken brain. They're dealing with a broken leg that's been walked on hmm. for a year. The bones have fused in the wrong way, right? Wow. The neural yeah. pathways are functioning in a very different way. If people presented to clinicians the next day after you know, becoming depressed, I don't think it would be this bad, but that's not what's happening. It's never happened that way. I don't know if that makes any sense, TJ. That makes a lot of sense. That's, man, that's really good. Because when I, when I heard you talk earlier and say that it took you six to seven years to recover from the post-traumatic stress, and I said, wow, like for you to even be able to put a timeline on that, that's very interesting because I think so often it's hard to see that and understand that. But yeah. um, when somebody, they're, when they're, their thoughts are injured, when it's not a healthy brain, they're, they're, they're walking on it as a survival method instead Absolutely. of a thriving method, right? And so. Absolutely. And they don't even know. And again, ignorance ignores itself, right? When you, hmm. And you're, you're trying to be resilient. You're trying to go to work, right? And I remember for, for at least two years, I, would sh you know, I used to shave in the morning, right? You're in the middle of the day, you have to shave every day and put your uniform, press your shirt and spit your shoes and all that. Uh, I, I still did that as a colonel, right? I, I, yep. I did not paint my shoes. You know, I didn't have patent leather shoes. I actually spit shine my shoes. And so there's all that. Good pride, for you. Right? Yeah, and I was shaving in the morning literally look at myself in the mirror, TJ, saying, what the hell is wrong with you? Hold it together today. Mm. You know, don't, don't screw up. What, what's, what's the agenda today? You know, don't, 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 don't stop it. Right. And you're talking to yours. You're psyching yourself up for the day. The same way an athlete psychs himself up mm. for the gold medal run. Right. But imagine if, if that's what you have to do every single day, psych yourself up. Olympians mm. can't, can't perform at that level every day. They're going right. to keep over, right? And so that's what a lot of workers, a lot of employees will have to do. Those, you know, there's all sorts of people who develop mental health problems, right? But let's assume your typical good average performer, your good, your, your good employee there who is ashamed and all this, every morning when they're getting, to go, getting ready to go to work, they're psyching themselves up to run yeah. another freaking marathon. And that's how exhausting it is. And by the way, TJ, when they go back home at night, 
people are going to tell them, have a good evening. Yeah. People used to tell me, have a good weekend, Steph. And for years, I didn't know what a good weekend was. Mm. I remembered when I was healthy, I knew what a good weekend was. But my weekends and my evenings were spent reconstituting myself for Monday morning, reconstituting myself for tomorrow morning, psyching myself up to keep it together so I don't lose my job, right? Yeah. How long can you sustain that, right? Which is why we have to find better ways to support people earlier on. Primary prevention, right? Primary right. At, the, at the very earliest moments. And we got the recipes for that, right? Uh, and it's, it's, it's working. Now, I know like if somebody, if somebody presented to us, we, we should be vulnerable and treat them as a human. But like as a leader, are there more proactive things to do? Should we be talking about, hey, here's, here's some of the signs of like where you might be struggling and we can, we can help. We want to we wanna help as a place without getting into the mental health literacy side too much. But do we need to be talking about it more as an organization so that people go, oh, yeah, I do have a broken leg? So I think that it's not so much, so my, my opinion, supported by, you know, how we approach things at, at MHI, um, my opinion is this. I think as a leader, let, let, let's say you're a leader who's saying, yeah, there's a lot of mental health problems in, in our shop and it's growing. That's the trend. You know, if you extrapolate the curve, this is just going to get worse. And you're a leader who's, who has a crystal ball and you know you're going to be there for the next 20 years. And you say, okay, I'm going I'm to change the course of, of, of history here. I do not think you will make a huge impact by starting to raise you know, in meetings, Hey, by the way, guys, you know, mental health is important. Uh, we want you guys to take care of yourself. If you have a problem, I have an open door policy, all this cliche shit there that doesn't work. Right. Right. It's, it's all cliche and it works with healthy people. The healthy people will say, TJ is a really good guy. Right. The people who are struggling will not perceive it that way because mm. people, when they're struggling, perceive things differently. And we, we can explore that later, maybe in, in the podcast. And there's evidence to show that there's research that shows that what, what we believe and back to the emotional intelligence, what we believe really works is leaders must develop relationships with their people well ahead of a person's mental health degradation. Okay. In other words, you know, it's unheard of while somebody is drowning to say, hey, while you're drowning, I'm going to teach you how to swim. It's too late. It's too late to teach somebody how to swim and they're That's drowning. That's a good point. That's a good right? point. Yeah. So what, what leaders do nowadays, because leaders and managers and supervisors are all freaking busy. We're doing emails. We go to meetings, right? And there's very little time left to develop human relationships between the boss and the employees. And therefore, when, uh, let's say you work for me, TJ, right? And let's say I'm too busy. I don't know if you're married, if you have kids, if you, if you're, how far you live from work, you know, explaining why sometimes TJ's a little late by a few minutes, right? But fuck, he lives across counter. So anyways, I don't know any of that. I just know that you work for me and you got deadlines and you got to be here on time and that's it, right? Okay. So I'm not a bad boss, but I don't know TJ. I really don't know. The day you start feeling unwell and you start feeling stressed for whatever, life issues, work-life issues, doesn't matter. And I sort of say, TJ's not well. Well, I'm going to reach out to TJ and see how he's doing. Well, TJ's in no freaking mood to tell me, the boss, how he's feeling. 
Right. The boss never asked me when I was healthy how I was. So why the hell would I tell him now? Yeah. Back to it's too late to teach somebody how to swim. Do not think as a leader you can develop a relationship, a supportive relationship with a person you have no relationship with. You have to establish a baseline with your people. That's really good. I like that. So that's that's where the focus needs to be. And therefore, manager, imagine let's 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 say everything is very simply mathematically sound, right? So a manager has eight hours in a day, in a perfect day. And in that in that eight hour day, the manager spends four hours doing emails, two hours in meetings, an hour doing actual work, and an hour where the manager says, hmm, I don't have anything to do for that last hour. So I say, take that hour, walk mm. the shop floor, go talk to people, engage them, right? Don't have an agenda. Right. Just go sit with them and do what I say, just shoot the shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, and don't go talk to TJ, your employee, and say, so TJ, uh, how's, how's the report coming? No, 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 no. Say, TJ, right. what are you doing next weekend? You know, yeah. I, heard you, I heard you went out with a hockey game. How was that, right? Build that relationship. Right. Uh, that's your job. If you're managing people, your job is to connect with the people, right? Yep. And Absolutely. we forgot how to do that. Managers hmm. don't do that anymore. We forgot. And that's sad. We forgot that people are central to how we run our businesses. Yeah. I, I usually have to do those checks for myself. When I find myself stuck behind the computer or monitor too long, I go, okay, I'm just, I'm hiding right now. And it's, and it's uh, time yeah. to stop hiding. It's time to get out there and yeah. care for folks. Yeah. Well, I get a sense you're not part of the problem because if you were, you wouldn't even have the, the presence of mind to do this podcast, right? So yeah, <laughs> you're a step ahead or two for sure. Yeah. So, sometimes I am, but uh, I, I'm growing at it, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I, it, when you talked about being supportive, I would, just this last year, I've really been walking through myself, like admitting that I, I struggle with anxiety. It was something that I often viewed as like a, like a weakness. And uh, so I wasn't willing to admit it. But when it came to it, when it was time to admit it, I didn't go to the people that were uh, just kind of putting out those, like you said, those pithy statements. But I went to the people that I knew care for me. Those, those friends, those that's people right. that I knew I could be safe talking about it with that made correct. That's really good about the supportive things. So you're living proof, right? You're living yeah. proof that, yeah, you'll gravitate to those you have a relationship with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, I, I give keynotes across Canada here and, you know, HR conferences and there's a thousand people in the room. And after the keynote, people come over and they shake your hand and you sign a few books and people say, Oh yeah. And, and then you always have, there's always somebody who says, do you have a minute? I have a question for you. Right. And they'll say, I have this employee. Right. And mm -hmm. they tell you the story of, you know, the employee's gone on sick leave and all this. And they say, the employee doesn't want to talk to us. Well, I said, but did you ever talk to him before? Well, not really. Well, why, why would he talk to you now? He's in the worst place in his life. Right. You know, if you didn't care when he was healthy, why would you start caring now, right? Now, it's, of course, there's no need to care when somebody's healthy, but mental health works backwards. That's if you so want, right, it works rev in reverse. In other words, if, if I'm going to give you a break because you got a broken leg, the fact that I cared for you before the broken leg doesn't mean when I, when I accommodate you in the workplace for your broken leg that it's not going to work because I didn't care about your leg before. Right. So, right. but it's counterintuitive in mental health. Mental health is all about going upstream 
and, and kickstarting that relationship before. Mm. And hopefully you'll never have to support per, a person who's got a broken brain, right? But if they do, you've set the conditions for success. Mm. The broken leg doesn't work that way. The employee with a broken leg comes into work, oh, geez, you broke your leg on it, skiing or whatever. The fact that you ever asked them about their leg before <laughs> doesn't really matter, right? Right, right. Mental health is backwards. The same mm. way the clinical system, right? You, broke, you break your leg, you know it right away, you go into care right away. Mental health, doesn't work that way. So it's almost like we have to re-engineer how we think and how we perceive things when it comes to supporting people. Broken leg that way, broken brain, very different. It's yeah. every everything's opposite, right? That's is the it, norm. Yeah. It, is it possible? Like I'm hearing you talk about the broken leg thing and I'm trying to make some correlations there. Do you think it's ever possible that we could go, this person's really struggling with this? If we take some of these steps, we know that in 30 days, they could be in a much healthier place, like kind of like a diagnosis, the same way they would do with a broken leg. Or is everybody so different in that, that there's not a really a ability to, to do that well? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, yeah. So I don't know the answer to that question. What I do know, though, is we create a, uh, I created a continuum years ago uh, that with, with my team yeah. that we continue to use to this date. It goes, so imagine, you know, uh, uh, like a, a graphic with green going to yellow, going to orange, going to red, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, fr from a physical perspective, often we, we look at it from a black and white perspective or a green and a red, meaning Steph is healthy. He's got no broken legs. He's green. He's running marathons. He's good to go. Breaks a leg, you're red, right? Right. And from a mental health perspective, we think it's like that. Oh, TJ's a happy-go-lucky guy. He's working hard. He's producing. All of a sudden, oh, he's depressed. Oh, he's at home. He's on sick leave or whatever. So green and red, it doesn't work that way, right? It's yeah. on a spectrum. So the thing is, is that when we can teach people, human beings in a workplace and managers, to look at people through the lens of that spectrum, rarely does an employee go from green to red. They go from green to yellow, back to green to yellow, into orange, back to yellow, into mm -hmm. orange. It, it's a progressive thing. The thing is, is that as human beings, all we have is we're, we're not capable of seeing the yellow and orange. All we mm. see is the green and the red, yeah. right? And so when you start understanding that mental health degradation in the workplace occurs over time on that spectrum, and you can really see the behaviors, right? Because it's not about symptoms, it's about behaviors the behaviors are getting more and more consistent with the yellow category or the orange category. You're, you now know as a boss that that trajectory is not good. Right, right. now right. I'm not saying that there's a prescription if you do this or you say that, oh, it's gonna reverse it and three weeks later you're back in the green zone. But right. not even understanding that concept is a huge disadvantage for yeah. the manager who's now mentally literate. He's got all this mental health literacy. He's got these clinical words and he knows what depression is but you still are not looking at your people through the right lens, right? Mm. So when we teach, we explain that lens and we bring that paradigm to life. And yeah. people see now, oh my God, TJ's in the yellow zone, mm. right? He's been yellow for a couple of weeks and yeah, he's in the orange zone. So I better start you know, doing something for TJ before he goes red on sick leave, right? Yeah. And, and of course it could be self-serving for the company, Oh, but at the end of the day, I say, whatever the motivation is, if TJ is healthier, 
everybody wins. The company wins, the manager wins, TJ wins. He's healthier now, right? So You're taking better care of people, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a win-win-win, right? For sure. Now I see on Mental Health Innovations, you all do a community-based approach. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Is that just be, just that the managers and fellow coworkers all kind of join together in the organization to do that community-based approach? No, so community-based approach is more from an implementation perspective. So it has nothing to do with, with how the uh, organization functions. So, so one of the, our signature services for corporate Canada or corporate America is uh, creating and sustaining peer support programs at the, at the workplace level. So imagine you're, you work at a company of 5,000 individuals. Uh, once we've implemented a peer support program, uh, you have a bunch of individuals from that company who have uh, volunteered uh, to, to become part of a supportive, uh, like an, it's like an employer resource group, but em okay. an employer resource group that doesn't just meet and talks about issues and puts recommendations forward and says, hey, boss, have you thought of that? But these are employees who become resources to other employees who are not feeling well, but they meet all the criteria because not any Tom, Dick, and Harry should or can support others when they're mentally not well, right? right. So we've been doing this 20 years. And so we know, you know, we know how to have a conversation and interview with TJ. And at the end of the interview, we're saying TJ is going to make a good peer supporter or TJ's Unfortunately, it's not going to make a good peer supporter. He's a good guy, but he's not right. going to be a good peer supporter, right? Because, because, because. So when we implement these programs, TJ, we just don't come in and say, okay, he wants to be a peer supporter. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. You know, it doesn't work that way. So right. what we use is a, is a, a methodology called community-based rehabilitation. And that, that methodology is, is supported by the World Health Organization. And it's something very simple, really. The methodology, if you break it down, is very simple. Don't do anything inside any structure, any organization, even a tribe in South America. Don't go in there and fix the problem with your recipe. Go in there and listen, engage mm. the people who are impacted by that problem and understand what's going on first. Yeah. You may have you know, antidotes and recipes and formulas and education and all this stuff. But until you can really understand what's going on in that organization at the community, that's what the community is. Community based means you engage the people who are struggling with the problem yeah. to, 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 to leverage the knowledge in that community to ensure that what we have as formulas at MHI, you sort of validate that, right? So before yeah. you go into a company, like I don't know, a big company, I don't know where you work, TJ, but and say, okay, we're gonna implement a peer support program. We've got the contract. Here's what we're gonna do. Line up here and this is, right? Here's the forms. <laughs> no, no, no. Go in there and shut up and listen. Mm. And so that approach works every time because of course, the programs are always launched with the same major pillars. There's always some policies. There's some, you know, there's a recruitment process. There, there's a process. But understanding how the organization functions from the inside out allows us to calibrate the program to make sure it's successful. Yeah. So we can't impose stuff that worked in another company that kind of the logo looked the same. So why don't we just use that formula, right? Because every that, culture is different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now the problem is the same. People are burning out, right? But the culture is different and it's all about calibrating, right? Mm. So it's more of a process, right? 
and uh, it's a process that works really well. And it's not rocket science, by the way. Right? <laughs> it sounds really complicated, but it's really, it's really what good leaders need to do, I think is exactly that. If you have a team of 20 people, TJ, and, and you, you're faced with a major problem, you can be the, the stoic, stiff upper lip leader that doesn't want to show any vulnerability or any sign of humility. And you, you, you close the door in your office and try to resolve this on your own. Yeah. If, if, if you're the other type of leader, the type of leader I think is the better leader is you'll get your team around you and say, guys, we've got a problem here, man. Uh, what do you guys think? Right. They know you have the authority. The fact that you're asking them doesn't mean you don't have the authority. You have the authority. You're the boss, right? right. But you engage them, you get, you pick their brain and, and, uh, and, and then you, you figure it out you make a decision and you move forward, but you don't ignore the people who are on the front line. They have a lot of wisdom, right? Yeah. So CBR, community-based, is kind of the same thing, right? It's kind of the same thing. I think one of the things I'm hearing you say is leaders just need to be, like, if I could boil it down, like you said, it's not complex. Like, we just need to be better listeners. Like, why, why do leaders struggle to be good listeners? In what you're learning as you work with companies, why do leaders struggle to listen well? Yeah. It's funny. I, I've caught myself, you know, I, I didn't used to always say this. But, you know, as my, as my own company is slowly growing, you know, it's not growing that fast. I mean, it's growing at a, I, I don't think we're growing fast enough. The demand is sort of, we're not overrun by demand, but you know, it's, we're, we're busy. Uh, so we're growing, we're onboarding more and more people and we're finding great people. We, we actually uh, have a, a person from New Jersey working with us now. It's great to have somebody, you know, south of the border and it's wonderful. <laughs> Shout and, out to New Jersey. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I often find myself re in, in recent years saying to my team, when I have an opinion about something, saying to, saying to them, listen, guys, this is what I think, but I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to look good or this is what leaders should do, but it, it just comes naturally because if I'm wrong, you guys tell me, I'm happy yeah. to be wrong here, right? So challenge me. Uh, when we have challenging discussions, I thank people for that. Yeah. When people disagree with me, I thank them. I don't yeah. get freaked out when we have tough discussions. And you know what? This week, people were, you know, I brought in my, my business partners together, some key managers in, in the room, and we had some hard discussions. At the end of it, I said, thank you. You know, <laughs> that's what we need to do to resolve issues. Yeah. It's, not get, it's not saying, oh, yeah, 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 TJ, yeah, you're the boss. You know what? No. So creating the conditions where people can actually disagree with the boss, I think is huge. Yeah. It is huge, right? And so I think that's what leaders need to aspire to. And leaders should not fear being wrong. They should yeah. embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the, to me, the best sign of good leadership is when an employee can respectfully tell the boss, boss, I think you're wrong. I think you're about to make a mistake because the employee has the respect to actually warn the boss. Yeah. And, and there's no fear that the boss won't tell you talking about. I'm going to fire you. No. Right. right. So th that to me is a sign. That could be saving your butt right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that's what young leaders are being taught. Mm. I think they're being taught that they have to be in charge. They have yeah. to be stoic. You have to have the answers. They're more educated. Uh, they make more money, right? So, and as we know, uh, there's a, 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 a woman from, Te I think she's from Texas. 
uh, Brene Brown. I don't know if you ever oh, yeah. heard of her. Love Brene Brown. Knows Brene Brown. We yeah. know. One of my associates did her, um, her, her recent course in, in, the, in the U.S. She met Brene and I said, oh, you're so lucky, right? She's, she's kind of my hero. But she, she says it really well. It's all about being vulnerable. It's yeah. okay to be vulnerable. We forgot how to be humble and how to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. And that's too bad. Yeah. Because that, that really reinforces human connections, right? Where the employee doesn't feel like they're lesser of a person. You're no more of a person than your employee, by the way. Yep. And if you think you are, you're in the, yeah, you, you suck. <laughs> you really suck, right? You yep. need a, a humility pill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just that, that, that's something you need to sell. Just a humility pill to swallow for a second. Yeah, that'd be good. A far, big pharma would have a, a field day with that. <laughs> the humility pill. Brene, Brene would, uh, yeah, she'd be raking in the millions there. Right? <laughs> So let's, let's say, uh, Stefan, somebody's listening to this and they, whether they're a frontline employee or they're a leader in their organization, how can they start to be an advocate for, for mental health and this sort of approach in their organization? Like, what would you say would be the first couple steps they should take to do that in their organization? Well, I mean, if you're an employee, right, depending on the level of authority you have and all this, I mean, you can look at it two ways, right? I mean, if you're an employee on, on the shop floor and you have very little influence over what the company does in the next 10 years, then I don't think strategically, organizationally, there's a lot you can do. However, there's a lot you can do for your coworkers, right? Yeah. If, you're, if, the, if the same person you're describing now is a director general somewhere or a vice president of HR and all that, well, my answer is going to be very, very different, right? Uh, so if we start with the first person, the employee, yeah. uh, I think that uh, I would tell that employee who's, who's, uh, who wants to do something, right, but has no authority, no influence over the company policies, I would say do not underestimate. This is the advice I would have for them. Do not underestimate the, uh, the power and, and the influence you have on your coworkers' mental health trajectory. Hmm. If, you, if you look at that person who's, who's struggling and is decompensating slowly and you never connect with the person and you just let them go and you be the bystander because you think you're not a doctor, therefore there's nothing I can do. If you fall in the trap of underestimating the power of human connection, you're, you're doing a disservice to that other human being. Yeah. If on the other hand, you, you, you act with a bit of courage, you approach the person, the person might tell you to bugger off, but you approach the person in a kind way and say, listen, you know, uh, it looks like you're going through a rough patch. If ever you want to have a chat, I'm there for you, man. We can go for coffee at coffee break, right? If you muster the courage without thinking that the person is going to ask you to resolve the problem they're going through, just connecting is enough often, right? So you yeah. don't need to be a doctor. And so many human beings nowadays think, I'm not a doctor. I can't do anything. So I'm going to let TJ be and I hope he calls a doctor, right? right? So that would be my message to the employee. That's really good. And if you want me to say, you know, if, you, if you're a vice president of HR in a company, I can also answer that. But it's a very sure. different answer, right? Want, sure. want me to go up there too? Yeah, yeah. If you're a leader in a company, that would be great too. Yeah, if you're a leader in a company, uh, what you need to understand is that if you are, so uh, you need to understand one thing. The people who are struggling with this issue right now think differently than the people who are healthy. 
So if you are a leader in the organization, and let's assume that you don't have a mental health problem, because a lot of leaders do, but let's assume you're a healthy leader, you don't know what it's like to be depressed or be burnt out or have bipolar or, you know, you have no clue. Um, do not surround yourself only with healthy people in the organization hmm. and say, okay, what are we going to do to resolve this? Because the advice you're going to get is very different from the advice you will get and the insight you will get if you surround yourself with people in your company that have suffered through the problem. Hmm. The lived That's really good. Yeah. And by the way, this is my opinion, but my opinion is supported by empirical evidence. Uh, Dr. Hogue in the US did a study years ago, uh, which looked at over 6,000 employee people who answered surveys around mental health, workplace, blah, 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 right? And they were asked all sorts of questions. They were asking questions such as, okay, TJ, answer the survey. So TJ, if ever you, you develop a bout of depression in the workplace, question number one, would you trust your workplace to do good by you, right? Question number two, would you be embarrassed? Question number three, anyways. So the beauty of the Hoag study was that the data also included medical diagnostic scales, which means that of course the survey was anonymous, but out of the 6,000 people who answered the survey, they were able to look at, were able to look at the data from those who likely had, what, what the answers were from mm. those who likely had a mental health condition compared to those who did not have a mental health condition. Wow. So if you dumb it down, if you ask t a healthy TJ to TJ, if you ever de become depressed in the workplace there, do you think you'd be embarrassed? If you're healthy, you're probably going to say, no, I don't think I'd be embarrassed. If you have depression at the time and you're asked, do you think you'd be embarrassed? You're going to say, yes. The perspective, the perception mm -hmm. is very different when you have a mental health problem. What does that tell us? Community-based rehabilitation. You yeah. need to engage the people impacted by the problem. That's what leaders need to understand for mental health, right? And the beauty of what we do in our company is because we're, you know, when, when organizations come to us, they outsource that task. Why? Because they recognize that, hey, listen, the VP of HR wants to do something good for their people and it requires engaging the people who are depressed today. Do you right. think depressed people in the company are going to go in a boardroom and say, okay, we're having a mental health meeting for everybody who's depressed. Come on in. We want your opinions. Nobody's going to show up, right? Yeah. So we have ways to actually reach out to those people from an outside perspective, right? So I'm not telling your VPs hire MHI, but the thing is, the point is figure out a way to engage the people yeah. who are impacted and get their insight and, and get their eye on the problem and see what would work for them. And out of that cohort of people, TJ, there's a lot of people who have been depressed, who have recovered, and they remember how it was. So you can also talk to those people, right? But again, it's embarrassing. Nobody wants to show up. There are ways to do this, right? And that's very important. And also, I would tell those leaders, uh, it's not all about clinical stuff. You know, one of our signature service offerings is about leveraging the human capacity in those big organizations. These people are all on the payroll. They show up for work every day. They're there. However, they don't talk to each other about mental health, right? Mm. What we do when we create peer support programs is we allow those conversations to be had. 
those peer support conversations. It's not a pity party. It's the sweet spot, right? Yeah. Because, and, and leaders also think that, well, we've got a great employee assistance program. We've got good benefits. That's all we need. Well, that's a two-legged stool, yeah. right? Two-legged stool doesn't work really well. You need a third leg. And that third leg is that human. That human in the workplace is going to spend five, 10 minutes with TJ at the coffee break to chat about, you know, what's going on with TJ, right? And that's the missing link. People, by the way, people don't die by suicide in their doctor's offices, do they? No. They die by suicide out there. What are we, the people, doing out there to support mm. the people? Very yeah. little, right? When somebody's struggling, we normally look the other way, right? So when, when VPs uh, have the courage to implement our peer support programs, what they do is they don't look the other way anymore. They yeah. actually interrupt they disrupt the isolation right and they they empower people who are struggling uh with a connection a meaningful connection with somebody who knows what it's like and that covers off that long two three week period between medical appointments right yeah. and that's when it all happens it comes undone between medical appointments or it can galvanize and the peer support relationship is the galvanizer. Right? Anyways, that's yeah. a big bowl of word salad there. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, well, I, I, I think it makes even for folks that are leaders in organizations, like I, I heard this guy, Jason true recently say uh, people that have a close friend or feel understood at work by somebody else. They're like, I, I I think the figure is like they're like seven times more loyal or like st stick around an organization if they know that they have that. And so for any organization, uh, especially with how relational younger generations are, I think it's such an important investment to make sure that there is some cohesive relationships that are able to happen and be supported by the organization. Correct. And I, th I think what's happening here anyways, uh, and, and the, the thing is, is that, these relationships can be left to serendipity for most human relationships in the workplace. However, when an employee starts struggling with a mental health problem, organizations, I believe, have a, have a responsibility to step up to the plate and not leave the isolation or not occur based on serendipity anymore, right? So right. you go into work as a healthy person, a hundred people go into work healthy every day and they build relationships. Some's like the, you know, we're like baseballs. You talk about baseball, you go for coffee and all this. And these are, okay, it's all fine, right? And so of course, organizations just let all this happen and that's socialization. It's, it's all good, right? But when people become mentally challenged or mentally, you know, uh, impacted, uh, this is where the leadership needs to kick in and, and say, we need, to, we, need to, we need to cover that gap because yeah. isolation sets in, right? Yeah. And often it's not necessarily because of stigma, TJ. It's not because people say, oh, I don't want to talk to TJ. He looks depressed. You know, I don't want him having lunch with me anymore. No, that, that's stuff we see in movies. If right. TJ is depressed, he's not going to show up at the lunchroom anymore. And we're going to say, where's TJ? He hasn't been here for a week. He eats at, yeah. he eats at his desk now, right? Now, of course, that's the yellow zone, right? TJ's yeah. not sick yet. He's just starting to isolate, right? Yeah. But as TJ starts to decompensate more and more, you know, those, the social fabric of relations and, you know, those connections start eroding. If there's nothing to potentially replace that, and TJ, you know, three weeks later figures, 
what's wrong with me, man? I, you know, people have been just commenting and all. I'm starting to feel bad and self-stigma kicks in. Imagine if TJ can talk to an employee who's suffered the same damn thing three years ago and who's now yeah. better, right? Yeah. Imagine if we can precipitate that connection and not leave it to serendipity that TJ bumps into somebody say, TJ, man, you, you know, I lived through the same thing. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So our programs actually make that connection occur, right? If yeah. TJ wants it, we don't impose it. Right. That connection is the game changer. Because instead of TJ walking on that broken brain, walking on that broken leg for a year, yeah. it's probably only going to take two, three months for TJ to say, yeah, you know what, Steph, you're right. I'm going to call the EAP program. I'm going to reach out for some help there. Why? Not because I told you, you need a doctor, but because I've said, don't do what I did, buddy. Don't, don't wait seven months. It's just going to get worse, right? Yeah. That's yeah. a promise, right? And yeah. so- those little conversations are instrumental and that's primary prevention. You're swimming upstream and you're not allowing TJ to walk on his broken leg for a year before the yeah. company does something about it. Right. That's good. Stefan, this has been a very insightful conversation. I've so appreciated oh, right uh, your, your wisdom and all that you've learned along the way. Uh, um, I, I want to ask you one more question if I could. Uh, and then we'll uh, share how they can connect with you as well. Sure. But uh, so at Vitamin Lead, our tagline is your healthy dose of leadership. And so I always like to ask people, uh, how do you define healthy leadership? Uh, introspection, hmm. humility, and never forget where you come from. Yeah. Right? And uh, I, 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 to me, it's so important to, uh, uh, to not lose the grassroots of things. And, yeah. and I make a point, you know, every once in a while, TJ, uh, we have a team in, in Eastern Canada here, that uh, group of employees that do hard, some hard work. And this fall was really busy. And one of my business partners said, so one of us, I said, I'm going, I need to be, I need to connect back with our frontline employees who do the tough work because mm -hmm. it's too easy to be, like you said earlier, right? Uh, when leaders lose the ability to want to connect with their frontline employees, it's time to retire. Yeah. It's time to leave, do something else. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and uh, be in awe of your frontline employees, mm. be humbled by what they do. Yeah. And, and don't ever think you can do their job because <laughs> you can't. No. Yeah. Anyways, I'm very that, aware of that. Yeah. yeah. No, not you, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Humility, man. Humility. That's, that's so good. I yeah. love that. Okay. So, uh, how can our listeners connect with you? I know you have a book out. Uh, I know that you work with mental health innovations. How can they connect with you and learn more about what you do? Well, there's, there's one thing that is easy to remember. I mean, my name, Stefan Grenier, and it'll be published, I'm sure, on your podcast. So I have a, a blog, stefangrenier.com. It's not a very active blog, but every once in a while, I feel inspired. I write something, and uh, my book is also uh, promoted there. So stefangrenier.com. And the other, uh, the other one that's easy to remember is supportyourpeople.com. Supportyourpeople.com, right? So that is uh, one of our flagship service offerings. And there's a free tool on there, actually. 
So for organizations who are listening in tonight saying, hey, well, what do we do now? Well, there's a, there's a free, you don't have to put your credit card in, right? And stuff like that. But you can do a, a quick assessment around where's your organization at and you get a score and the score actually tells you, here's what you might want to be thinking of next, hmm. right? So if you don't know where to start, it takes about four minutes to do the, the assessment tool. It's a reader's digest. It's not a deep dive, but it's sure. a place to start. Supportyourpeople.com, TJ. I think I'm going to go to supportyourpeople.com either tonight or in the morning and right uh, check right that on. out. That sounds really awesome. Well, Thank you very uh, much for having me. I Thank you for being it. here, Stefan. I, I so yeah. appreciated it. And uh, best of luck to you as you go through the snowy season there in Canada. Yes. So. <laughs> All right. We'll <laughs> shovel ourselves to, to, to spring. Right on, TJ. Have a good one. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.